We've got a big podcast for you today here on the Illini Enquirer podcast. I'm Jeremy Warner, Illini Enquirer publisher. We're going to talk some Illini women's basketball. Megan McEwen does a great job for Big Ten Network, ESPN, and the Field of 68. She is the daughter of Joe McEwen, a former Northwestern coach who was the former boss of Shauna Green. So Megan knows a little bit about Shauna, but obviously covers uh, the Big Ten women's basketball in depth. Also covers men's basketball, so I'll ask her her thoughts on Illinois men. But uh, we break down what she's made of Shauna Green and this team in year one and how good she thinks this team is and what Illinois women's basketball, the long-struggling Illinois women's basketball could be moving forward. Uh, so great conversation with Megan. Hope to get her down uh, back on the podcast you know, down the line here is uh, we get ready for an NCAA tournament. It seems like it's going to be the case with Illinois women's basketball. I saw they were an eight seed on the latest ESPN bracketology. Also have a long conversation with Joey Wagner. We talk about the biggest questions remaining for Illinois football moving forward. We talk about the law firm's return, how good this defense can be, uh, and where else they could go in the portal. And I have to say, like, we did this entire podcast, thought it was really good, and then we learn that Illinois has added another transfer quarterback. This one, John Paddock, Ball State transfer quarterback, started for Ball State last year. Illinois has added the sixth-year senior as a walk-on. So he's got one year of eligibility left. So we had to add an addendum to the podcast. So stick with us through it. We know the little conversation about the quarterback is a little dated, which is always our fear when we record these podcasts, that news is going to happen right after it. But know that we will have an 8- to 10-minute conversation about another transfer quarterback for Illinois and what it means uh, for the team. So a loaded podcast. Sit back, relax. we got Megan McEwen up next talking Illini women's basketball, and then Joey Wagner and I chat some Illini football as well. That's next on the Illini Enquirer podcast. All right, happy to bring in Megan McEwen. You can see her on Big Ten Network. You can see her on ESPN, Field of 68 with our guy, Trevor Valise. She's all over the place, and she's fantastic. So happy to have you on, Megan, because we got to talk about this resurgence, Illini women's basketball program, among other things. No, I'm happy to be here, and I tell you what, this has been the biggest surprise in college women's college basketball has been the emergence of Illinois because, I mean, to be, like, candid, they were awful for the last five to, to eight years. And so for them to just reemerge as quickly as they had, um, it's been really cool to watch. And I personally am such a big Shauna Green fan that I'm not surprised at all that she has been able to, to accomplish this. But yeah, it's been, it has been something just to see the way that they've been so consistent this year um, and really have become one of the top teams in the Big Ten. Well, Megan, we got to start there because you knew Shauna Green before most of us knew Shauna <laughs> Green, of course. Um, she she coached for your dad, if, if people don't know, Joe McEwen, uh, great coach at Northwestern. Um, obviously, he's not feeling great about Shauna the last couple of weeks with, with two wins uh, for Illinois over Northwestern. But she served as an assistant for, for your dad uh, back in 2015-16, I believe. Uh, so what did you learn about Shauna then uh, and, and what stood out about her? Any stories about Shauna? You know, Shauna is a great recruiter. And so one of my favorite stories that um, Shauna and my dad have, so they were recruiting um, Abby Scheid to Northwestern, and Abby Scheid ended up being like a first-team All-Big Ten selection. She led the nation in three-point shooting her senior year. And it was actually the year that Northwestern won the Big Ten regular yeah. season. So Shauna and my dad went on a, a home visit to visit um, Abby Scheid in Minnesota. Um, and a fun fact is my dad is – highly allergic to cats 
And so they walk into the house, him and Shauna, and uh, Karen the cat is there. And they're sitting there on the visit. And I think it's like Shauna's first home visit with my dad. And my dad is just like busting out into an allergic reaction. He's like going to the bathroom every like five minutes to blow his nose. Like he's just totally breaking down, having an allergic reaction. And so they, uh, they walk out of the house afterwards and Shauna looks at him and says, do you want me to take you to the hospital or to the bar? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, let's go to the bar. And they ended up signing happy shied. And, but it's always the funniest story she talks about, you know, they talk about how you just blew up, you know, from this allergic reaction. But, you know, I think it's such a, it, Coaches are so interesting to me um, because, you know, we see as the public this like super professional all basketball side to them. But I don't think very many people realize like how great of a personality and how much fun Coach Green is as a human. So when she got hired at at Illinois, what'd you think about it? Because it's a little different than what Illinois um, obviously had previously with Nancy Faye, D3 Hall of Famer, probably more along the lines of what they had Matt Bullant, who started well. Um, coming from Green Bay, but what did you think of that hire initially? Shauna Green has had sustained success at another school, and I think it's really interesting when you kind of look at the landscape of what athletic directors look for when they hire head coaches. To me, it's so important to prove that you can be successful running a program at the Division One level. Um, and Shauna, I mean, with, to Dayton, and she was my dad was very sad. She left after one year. I think he, she will go down as one of his favorite assistants, but it was the right move for her to go to Dayton at the time. And she took that program and they went to multiple NCAA tournaments. She just really had an identity there at Dayton, which I think is a great job, by the way, you know, in that conference in the A-10. Um, and for her to have that success, to understand the type of kid she wanted to recruit, to understand what her identity as a head coach is, um, for Illinois to hire her, that's such a no-brainer. And I was disappointed. I didn't even think of it when, whenever that job came open as um, her being a possible candidate. But I mean, talk about a home run hire um, by your athletic director at, uh, at Illinois, because she just has a swagger to her. She understands how to recruit in the Midwest. And most importantly, she has an identity as a head coach. So, I mean, obviously this season has been ridiculous. Um, as you said, I mean, this has been a bad program uh for a really long time so Matt, when you were playing and as you're watching your dad in this conference like what did you think of illinois women's basketball like, what was your outside perspective of the disaster that it was you know and it's really hard to win in the big 10 yeah. but you know illinois just they they weren't when you looked at them it was one of those things where you went into the year and if you had illinois twice on your schedule you were pumped because you knew that was two automatic wins and that's how the big 10 viewed illinois so for them to, you know, kind of emerge and it's no longer an automatic win and the big 10 has enough parity as is like, it's truly, uh, it's great for the league, but it stinks for everyone else who has to play them now two times. But yeah, when you played Illinois, like you knew that was going to be an easy W and no ifs, ands or buts about it. You got to kind of go on to the next game. Yeah. So you said she's got an identity. Uh, what is that identity? And, and has it showed up year one for Illinois? The identity of Shauna Green, well, it's interesting. She wants to play fast. She talks a lot about getting into her Phoenix transition, so she wants to try to score within six or seven seconds, which is kind of similar to what Brad Underwood wants to do on the men's side, um, as well, playing that kind of more of a fast pace if they can. But what Shauna's done a great job with her team is being really disciplined and dictating that pace of play. So when they can get out and run, they will. But also, I saw it against Iowa this year. 
they slowed that game down so much that it frustrated Iowa. And therefore, like Illinois was able to kind of force the Hawkeyes to play defense for 30 seconds, which no one wants to do, by the way. No defender, you cannot look me in the eye and tell me you want to play defense for 30 seconds. And as a result, like, you know, Illinois is able to come away with this win because they were able to frustrate Iowa so much by slowing down that pace of play. And then defensively, Shauna Green is so committed to, you know, that one-on-one defense, being able to stay physical, yet stay in front of your man um, and not have to help off too much because you're just so good defensively one-on-one and understanding your personnel with each scout specific game. So for her, I just think the identity of this team is discipline. And that's just something we have not seen from the Illini program over the course of a really long time. I mean, 16 wins in a season. I came into this year saying if they can get five or six Big Ten wins, that'd be a huge success. They already have that through nine games. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how, have the, how has she been able to turn this so quickly? And, and as you said, become one of the better teams in the Big Ten? So much of this, too, it's an interesting case study about you know how can you succeed from the transfer portal. And, you know, how the transfer portal is currently made up in 2022, you can get kids in right away and they can start playing with immediate eligibility, which wasn't the case, you know, over the last like three or four years, you haven't been able to do that. So for these kids to have an extra COVID year or whatever, and then be able to answer the portal and her to get them. Now, granted, you have to convince these kids to come to Champaign. But that being said, I think she's done a great job utilizing the portal, finding kids that fit her style of play that she wants to coach. And it's been a complete formula for success. Now, granted, um, Cook and Shupil came from Dayton with her, which is huge. And talking to different coaches in the Big Ten, I talked to Lisa Booter from Iowa, and she was like, Makaira Cook has been a Power 5 kid when she was getting recruited. Like, make no mistake about it. Uh, but Cook's really loyal to Coach Green and was like, I want to go with you. And you know, she took a visit and ended up falling in love with it. And here we are now, and Cook's become one of the top scorers in the Big Ten. But I think what Green's done a great job of is, you know, utilizing that transfer portal because most of its talent, you know, three starters are transfers. Yeah. And there's not a lot of, you know, carryover from that last team. Now, you do have Kendall Bostic and Adalia McKenzie who have both been great. I mean, Kendall Bostic is one of the best rebounders in the Big Ten. And it's really frustrating as an opponent because she creates so many second chance opportunities and extra possessions for Illinois just because she's a pest down there, you know, getting rebounds. So, but, like, these kids have just really done a good job adjusting and buying into what Coach Green has asked for. And a lot of that success is coming from having a player like Makaira Cook take over and understanding the Green system already. Yeah, Makaira and Genesis Bryant, um, the other transfer guard, I haven't seen dynamic guards like that at Illinois in a long time. Like, they're undersized, Megan, mm-hmm. but they can go get a bucket whenever. Uh, and you pair that with Adalia, who's kind of this physical – you know, I compare it to Illinois basketball, like Ravante Rice kind of physical scorer <laughs> sure. at the rim. Um, those are those are three dynamic guards where it feels like Illinois can match up with almost anybody in the Big Ten with those three in the backcourt. And they're quick, too. Yeah. And it's hard to stay in front of them uh, as a defender. It's I mean, Genesis Bryant against Northwestern this weekend just hit a freaking gut check three time expiring on the shot clock to really ice the game. And, you know, these players just have so much poise when they play. And and I think, you know, when you're playing and this game is so emotional as is, and you have to really, you know, survive the highs and lows teams going on runs and whatnot. And Shauna's team just never at any point gets too flustered or frustrated. They just are so solid and steady, which goes back to that discipline 
um, portion of what a Shauna Green team is built as. But those guards, you mentioned Cook and Genesis Bryant, they can score in the mid-range. They can knock it down from three. I mean, Illinois is shooting 40% from three as a team right now that leads the Big Ten. They're just so difficult to guard because there's so many dynamic playmakers on the floor at one time. You mentioned Kendall Bostic. Um, you could probably put a Dally McKenzie in here. Like, how much better have they gotten in, in, oh in season with Shauna? You know, and Bostic did a really nice job rebounding last year as well. Yeah. She was in the top, I believe she led the league in rebounding for, mm-hmm. for most of the season. I just think that uh, what Bostick's kind of developed more this year, I think is just confidence and she's being utilized in the offense more so she can step out and kind of hit a 10 footer, which, you know, draws the defense away from the basket more. And it allows for, if she misses it, offensive rebounds to happen. And that's kind of um, become her identity is just like cleaning things up on the board. And now she's a threat inside. So Illinois can now kind of have that inside outside game. And McKenzie, again, was a scorer last year, but I think it's just having more confidence and her skills being utilized even more within Shauna's system. Obviously, they've, they've gotten a big win against Iowa. They almost did against Indiana and, mm-hmm. and Ohio State, weren't able to close those games out. Uh, what's, what's the next step in, in Shauna's build here? To Amazingly, they're in the middle of the Big Ten right now, maybe the upper half, mm-hmm. uh, but to, to take it another level to beat those kind of teams. It's just, it's all about consistency. And I don't believe Illinois has been blown out of a game yet this season. So, I mean, they went down to the wire with Indiana twice. And that's, you know, arguably one of the best teams in the Big Ten. So the next step for them is just going to be trying to sneak away another couple of wins against top teams in the Big Ten. Now, moving forward, as we're in the dog days of conference play and everyone's tired, everyone's banged up. But for Illinois, they just have to make sure they're beating the teams that are lower than them in the standings, so taking care of business, and then also trying to sneak, you know, a couple more ranked wins away, which they're going to have the opportunity to play here down the stretch. So, I mean, you just got to stay focused and take it one game at a time. If that's not the biggest coaching cliche I've ever said, I don't know what is, but but it rings true for this team. All right, Megan, I see in the net rankings, Illinois number 31. Um, how many more wins do you think they need? to be an NCAA tournament team. That's something we haven't talked about in 20 years in Illinois, by the way. Isn't that absolutely wild? And I'm going to pull up their schedule as well so I can take a look at this. Um, you know, and if you're right, it's not something we've talked about. And I just going to also show you like the depth of the Big Ten and how good it's been on the women's side for – on the men's side too. Um, but, you know, you're sitting – you're going to need 20 wins, obviously, to get in. So they're 16-4 and four right now. I mean, they – I think they, they win 20 to 21. They're, they're a lock. Um, coming up, I mean, what's going to be a big game for them is when they're at Michigan on February 2nd. If they can pull away a win there, that could be – actually, I have that game on the 2nd. So that will be that'll be a big one for them. If they can pull away, you know, sneak one on the road at Michigan or at Nebraska or at Maryland, you know, they have a couple here that they can really solidify themselves as a – not just like, a, oh, could they be an NCAA tournament team? No, they will be a t- NCAA tournament team if they can beat, you know, Michigan on the road or Nebraska on the road or Maryland on the road. Megan, what do you think long-term Illinois women's basketball is capable of being? Uh, this is a team, I mean, based off of this year, and and I'm curious about that as well because I think a lot of the reason why they're having success, yes, they're good, but also most of these teams in the Big Ten aren't prepared for them because they just haven't seen that much of them yet this year. And so there's so little data to work on um, regarding how to really stop this team. That being said, if – 
Coach Green can continue bringing in dynamic guards that can score and she can have multiple playmakers on the floor at the same time, like there's no reason why Illinois can't be a team that ranks in the top five in the Big Ten consistently year in and year out. I've always said I think Illinois is a great university and it's a program that I think should always be good in, in all of the sports because, you know, you can get to Champaign, you know, you're outside of a big city, two hours, you can get there. You have a great fan base. You have good facilities. Um, There's just a lot of hype surrounding the school right now. And we see with the football program and men's basketball as well. So there's no reason why Illinois can't be a a powerhouse in the big 10. Well, Megan, switching to the the men's side, um, Besides Purdue and, and Minnesota, I don't, I don't know if we know what any of these other teams are, but what's your take on Illinois men's basketball so far? Illinois men's basketball was one of those teams where I, I, you know, I was really high on them at the beginning of the year, and I think everyone was. They were one of the – I think there were only three Big Ten teams ranked in the top 25 uh, preseason-wise. And, you know, I think they've shown really good spurts. Like, at the end of the day, like, you've got so many different dynamic scores between Terrence, Shannon Jr. I think we're starting just to see what Matthew Myers capable of. How good has Dane Danger been? I mean, just, like, he's been really fun to watch. And, you know, this is an Illinois team, I think, that just has to, like, sustain the, the course of Big Ten play, which everyone beats the crap out of everybody night in and night out. What's wild to me right now when you look at the league is, yeah, like you said, you got Purdue. I mean – shoot, Minnesota beat Ohio State earlier this month. Like, what's going on there? But you have nine different teams that have three or four wins in the Big Ten. So, like, there really isn't any separation. My favorite team in the Big Ten is Rutgers, just because their ability to defend, I think, is going to help push them a really long way. But, I mean, look, there's no reason why this Illinois team still can't emerge as, you know, a top six seed in the in the NCAA tournament and you know they can just like continue picking up big wins but I think their biggest issue right now has just been that you know consistency in Big Ten play losing to Indiana obviously didn't help but they got a big stretch down here Ohio State and Wisconsin coming their way so it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of shakes out over the course of the next couple of weeks. You mentioned uh, Sean, a kind of as a case study of like the transfer portal, like Illinois basketball, men's basketball has kind mm-hmm. of been that way as well. You know, they, they started off great, all this talent, then they hit their rut and then they go on a four game win streak. But, you know, the transfer portal age, I think Ohio State's going through it too. Uh, feels like they just need time to, to click and we'll see if Illinois can ever click. But right. when they do, we know it can be really good. And you kind of have seen across the Big Ten, like Andrew Funk at Penn State has been a really nice addition uh, for Shrewsbury there. And, you know, my goodness, Cam Spencer, just like Mr. Clutch, has been a great addition to Rutgers. But you see the teams that are having the most success. And I think Michigan State's also going to kind of start to to click right now. I think they're kind of on the verge of doing that. And they got a lot of returners that have been under their head coach's system for at least a year or so. And so those are the kind of the teams that I think we're seeing separate themselves as having some success. But look, that's that's not to say that it just it takes time when you have new players in like you just it takes time to learn a coach's system, how to play with your teammates. And, you know, Illinois had some some big shakeups this year with, you know, guys being in and out of the roster and whatnot. So it just it takes time. I hate to say it, but it, it really does. But, you know, you look at the top of the Big Ten right now, Purdue has two freshmen that, that have been really successful. Like Zach Eadie has been in that system for a long time, as have a lot of the supporting roles. So that's, I think, why they've had so much success. Megan, one more thing before I let you go. Um, I thought the Chicago Sky was, was so big for this area in, in women's basketball. I think Illinois women's basketball having success is great. I, how do you feel about, like, is the sport getting – 
the attention it start it, it deserves? Like, do you feel like it's going in the right direction there? I do. You know, it's starting to, and yeah. um, you know, it's so funny. People are like finally taking an interest in women's basketball, and yeah, you know, this has been my life since since right. I was born. So I'm like, hey, welcome to the party. It's always been this fun. Um, but the product right now is so good, and the talent level is just astronomical, especially in women's college basketball. Like you take a look around the league and, you know, Caitlin Clark for Iowa is going to be a generational talent. And she just, she's so exciting to watch and it's electric. And you look at what Dawn Staley's done at South Carolina and just how dominant they've been. And, you know, I always laugh and like, I, I love basketball period, but I always laugh at the people who say, Oh, I don't like women's basketball. And to me, I'm like, if you're a basketball purist, you should love women's basketball because it's more fundamental than the men's game because you can't play above the rim. Mm -hmm. So as a result, like you have to be more skilled. You have to be more fundamental. Um, and to me, like, it's just a beautiful game to watch when it, when it's played well. But I tell you the one thing I just, my biggest bone to pick with men's college basketball right now, can we change to quarters, please change <laughs> to quarters and ball under a minute. She, yeah. Like the NBA is doing it. You're the only league left in the universe that still is playing halves. Let's go to quarters, make this thing go a little bit faster. And for the love of God, advance the ball under a minute. I'm with you, Megan. Like it is like, I've enjoyed so much the quarters, like watching now more women's Illinois mm -hmm. women's basketball. Like it is, it's a far better system. <laughs> it is. It just, it goes by faster. It's more of, you know, you're, you can watch a women's game. I mean, these women's game, I mean, you're like an hour 45 at most yeah. nowadays. So, which is great. I mean, we, none of us have an attention span anymore. Social media has ruined all of us at this right. point. So the quicker, the better. Megan McEwen, uh, this is great. Appreciate your time. Keep up the great work. Your Big Ten Network, ESPN, Field of 68. Uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you down the line. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Great stuff with Megan McEwen. And Illinois women's basketball has been a ton of fun. A ton of fun to watch. If you haven't watched them yet, Megan's right. Like, the way they play, the tempo they play with, their ability, like – I'm telling you, we haven't seen the dynamic, quick guards like Makaira Cook and Genesis Bryant in a while, and they can shoot it from anywhere, score from anywhere. Genesis is an absolute bucket. Uh, and then Adalia McKenzie just brings that physicality at the guard spot. And then Kendall Bostic uh, is just a warrior on the glass and has really improved her offense. Six of the last nine games, she's got double-doubles for Illinois, and, and she wasn't much of a scorer. Uh, before this year and then Bryn Shoe Pill is just kind of a, a typical stretch four gives them a lot of length uh, but she is a, a dead-eye shooter as well so this is a, a really fun team to watch I think their issue is depth particularly in the post when Bostic gets in foul trouble but uh, when it comes to competing in the Big Ten they got the pieces at least in, in the first six seven uh, on their team and as they continue to build this thing because most of these players should be back uh, as they continue to build this thing this could be a fun program fun program so definitely go watch them uh, whether it's in person on tv or on the stream whenever you get the chance to because uh, they're a fun team to watch all right when we come back let's dive into illinois football what's it mean that the law firm is back and what are the big questions remaining for this offseason and we'll talk a little bit about the newest quarterback commit. It's an addendum after we recorded this, the, the news broke. Uh, we'll talk about John Paddock, the Ball State transfer quarterback as well, with Joey Wagner. That's next. Welcome into the Online Choir Podcast. Jeremy Warner, Joey Wagner. Let's catch up, uh, Joey, after a weekend off about some Illinois football things. I talked a little bit about my impressions of, of Illinois football last week when I was solo on the pod, but... Uh, we haven't had your thoughts yet on the law firm, Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph returning on top of Seth Coleman, 
Tariq Barnes, um, CJ Hart announces he's returning. Uh, so obviously a lot of big defenders returning, but your big thoughts on two really good defensive linemen returning for Illinois. Yeah. I mean, I think the tea leaves kind of read that way for a while. You didn't see a lot of visitors defensive line wise coming on campus. And you're like, well, you never know until you know, uh, but you kind of start to think about it. It's like, well, wait a second. They, they'd have to move quickly because we know depth there is not, it's not very good. I it shouldn't say very good. It, it's, well, it's not, and it's definitely not playable right now. Uh, so I think, you know, you started to get that read, but it's big. It, it's a, those two specifically, Keith Randolph, Johnny Newton, you're getting all Big Ten guys back. I mean, that's – I don't know. Is this possible three years ago, four years ago? Probably not, and we can get into that uh, here in a minute, Jeremy. But to return a lot of that front seven, front eight, however you want to – you know, front seven mostly to break that down, that – that's going to help a lot because that has to work in tandem with that back end that's young and that you're seeing new faces start to to blossom into some of those roles. And then those guys should just have another step to take, right? Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton, who were really, really good last year, the expectation isn't for them to come back and be the same as that. You know, they they were sold on being better and, and advancing that NFL draft stock. Keith Randolph said as much with, with Lante and Derek Piper on the radio last week. And Illinois could really use them to take another step forward. And that's not taking away anything from a year ago. So you pair those two with Seth Coleman, with Gabe Ackes, with what we both like is some of the developing depth at outside linebacker and inside linebacker. You're starting to get a lot more knowns. And as you want to build momentum uh, after a really breakthrough season, you want more knowns than unknowns, which is elementary, but it's true. Yeah. I'm not surprised by Keith Randolph's decision at all. Um, from, from what I've heard, he'd be a late uh, NFL draft pick, potentially an undrafted free agent. So I thought it made sense for him, uh, right? Like we've talked about the NIL impact. Like it makes that decision a little bit easier when you can make a little money playing college ball. Uh, he talked about leaving a legacy. Um, you know, obviously the, the more those guys play at Illinois, the more they have success, the more they will be known forever at Illinois. Um, but also I'm, I'm a little surprised by Johnny, at least based on what I thought his season was. I thought he was the most dominant interior defensive lineman in the Big Ten and one of the most dominant interior defensive line in the country. Uh, you know, talking with a scout, like he said, yeah, probably mid-round pick. At some points, it felt like he could be a third-round pick. That doesn't seem like that was the feedback he received. So if he was a fifth-rounder, uh, that's what the NFL told him, which to me is, is kind of mind-boggling. Um, I, I can understand why he would want to come back. Uh, I've said on the podcast before, I don't know if he's going to put together a better season. At least we watched the pressure numbers by PFF. He had the most pressures among power five defensive linemen. He had led the line tackles for loss and sacks. And it's hard to get five and a half sacks uh, at an def in interior defensive line position like Johnny Newton plays. Um, so I don't know if he's going to match those or exceed all of those numbers. But I do think he's going to be awesome yet again. I do think he's going to get better, uh, which is what Brett Bielma obviously is selling him on. And the biggest thing for me is I think Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton returning make everybody else better. Like I think Seth Coleman and Gabe Axis's numbers go up. I think Tariq Barnes' numbers will be improved. And most importantly, I think the secondary will be far better when you have Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph, Seth Coleman, Gabe Axis all back rushing the passer. Yeah, 100%. You need that for, again, a secondary that's going to be young and in some places inexperienced, maybe more places than not inexperienced. Was there a more fun stat just to watch week over week than Johnny Newton pressure numbers? 
I mean, honestly, like that's kind of a, a weird nerdy jump in thing to, but it was fun to watch. Like, he had nine against Indiana. That was the second game, and we we're like, oh god, like maybe this is maybe this is something. That was such a fun stat to watch. Well, and uh, Keith was number three among Big Ten defensive linemen in <laughs> pressures, uh, and then you have Seth Coleman was tied for fifth uh, among defensive linemen and edge guys in the Big Ten in pressures. Um, so I, I know the sacks is a big number, and it does matter because you're bringing the quarterback down. But that in combination with a strong secondary, Joey, is why this defense was so good. Yes, they were able to pressure the quarterback, which made him throw into tight windows against a very talented secondary. So it all worked together. Would you like more sacks? Yes. But the fact that you're creating havoc on the quarterback, getting pressure on him, um, I think that says a lot about how good those guys were. Uh, I think Keith can be more consistent. He's brought that up. I, I think he can be even better as a pass rusher. He brought that up. Uh, and talking with Terrence Jamison, they, they think these guys have, an, have another um, gear they can get to. And, and asking Terrence just what these guys can do individually. With Johnny, it was more just like, you got to find something. Like you got to find something to impress them even more. You got to find something to get better at. And that's his key with Keith. He said, consistency, be, you know, finishing some plays, uh, things like that. But to get those two back, Joey, there are five all big 10 defensive linemen returning, whether you go coaches or media, Illinois has two of them. And with Seth Coleman and Gabe Ackes, two guys, I think are NFL prospects getting those two back and then getting Tariq Barnes and CJ Hart experienced linebackers who know your system T-Rot Edwards was pretty good at nose guard, you know, in that rotation. And then you had Denzel Daxon at Ohio transfer um, who didn't have like the, the biggest numbers or anything, but is a big body is a former power five prospect as a high schooler. You had depth at that position too. this front seven, in my opinion, would be the best in the big 10 West and outside of Ohio state, Michigan. I don't even know if Michigan with, with some of the guys they're losing. Illinois has got one of the best um, you know, fronts defensive fronts in the country. Yeah, it's been a while, Jeremy, a long time, been able to say that. Think about it another way. I mean, the you look at that front seven, they've, Illinois is losing Calvin Avery, and they're losing Isaac Archangelo. That's the list. That is, when you look at NFL decisions, transfer portal, the whole era uh, of where we are, where rosters flip seconds, I mean, days, I mean, it goes quick. You're returning five of your front seven. And four of which, Keith Randolph, Johnny Newton, and you mentioned Seth Coleman, Gabe Ackes, so NFL guys. That's that's pretty wild given just what – I'm still a little bit fighting like the what this program was before the last really two years. But that's a pretty pretty significant thing. And and I know it's, it's getting a lot of attention. I, I still feel like it, it's also January, so come August it might get more attention, but – we combined that talent, that experience, that production with, especially the outside backer, Jeremy Rabilma said he wants more pass rush value uh, when he gets that, it fills that coaching position. It's clear they're, they're ready to get some pressure on, on opposing quarterbacks here. Yeah. And I, I start to think of this. I, I don't want to overlook our guy, Jamal Woods, by the way, he was part of the rotation uh, and, and he's on his way out, but they're pretty high on said McConnell uh, coming in. So um, it gives Aaron Henry, a really good first group, right? Like, like Aaron's got some work to do in the secondary along with uh, Antonio Finellis. Uh, but they got some talent that, that shined in the bowl game. I thought Tyler Strain had a really good end of the season. Xavier Scott got some experience. We think Matthew Bailey can be really good. But 
when you lose a potential top 10 pick, uh, certainly a first round pick in Devin Witherspoon and probably two other draft picks in Sidney Brown and Quan Martin, uh, you certainly have time. You certainly have a lot to replace there. Joe, what are you looking at? Hey, just, I just saw Zed key come across my other screen. I wanted to get updates. I'm listening. I just he's like what he's like looking at something intently while I'm talking. I've just been off. I've been off the grid a little bit, so I'm now I've seen it. I, I look. I can multitask here, Jeremy. Okay, no, I just, I just figure I, out if Zed Key's playing against. I was just out. wondering if there's something going on that I really need to know about. No, James, usually so. I have the facial expression that I get made fun of if something like if something goes up. But to your continue, Jeremy. <laughs> Sorry to call you out there. Uh, so Aaron, Henry, Aaron Henry's got a lot to work with. Um, and, and if you're a first-year defensive coordinator calling it, you like to have Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph, Seth Coleman, Gay you know, all these guys we're, we're talking about. Um, so I think it, it's a big addition. Uh, I want to hit on the Denzel Daxon addition real quick. I kind of did already, but uh, not a big name, right? This, this is a kid who committed to Miami as a prep prospect. He's from the Bahamas. Then he committed to Louisville, and then he ends up at Ohio. Was a rotational player there. But it's 6'2, 320 pounds is the type of nose guard prospect you want. Illinois didn't really get a lot out of Rasan Wilkins this past year, and, and we'll see what his future holds. But uh, to add somebody in the rotation while you lose Calvin Avery, they certainly see talent here. He certainly was a power five talent uh, as a prep prospect and has some experience. So I was really encouraged by T. Rod Edwards this past year. Calvin Avery, I was really encouraged with, obviously. But I, I do think, you know, we could talk about Terrence Jameson and prep recruiting and winning those battles, whatever it is, Joey. But when it comes to development, when it comes to technique, you know, talking with Jay Lehman every week, he thinks these guys are as well coached with their hand fighting, with their technique, um, you know, getting off of blocks as he sees in the Big Ten. So uh, if Terrence Jameson can get the most out of Denzel Daxon, a guy who's got two years of eligibility, to go along with T-Rod Edwards, that just gives you more time, right? And that's that goes along with Johnny Newton and Keith Randall. Gives you more time to develop the incoming freshman. Said McConnell, who Terrence Jameson told me he's really excited about the growth he's making and potentially the next wave of transfers or the next wave of young talent you bring in. Because as you know, we know defensive line recruiting since they got Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph uh, has not been very good. It hasn't, and that's also a really hard position to recruit because, as we've talked about, similar to quarterbacks, uh, and I'm not trying to say it, you know, trying to make an excuse. It's just a reality. Like there's just not, a, there are not enough Power Five defensive linemen coming out of high school. I mean, it's you've got to find some of those guys to develop and turn into guys who can be Power Five. That's a really hard position uh, to to recruit out of high school. But I, I think the time element, Jeremy, that's probably probably one of the not the the most important thing with with Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph coming back because their development and their, their play is is the most important thing. But time is really valuable right now, and trying to bridge those two, and you can throw Calvin Avery into that mix who's out to this next wave of defensive linemen, paired with how it's been recruiting, which hasn't hasn't really been the most fruitful over the course of the last three classes. We know they brought in uh, three, right? Alex Bray, Mason Moragan, and uh, Jeremiah uh, Ward. Jeremiah Warren, a blanket. So they brought in three, which is more than they had in the previous two cycles combined. Um, you've got to get a bridge to those guys. And it's pretty – we can get into it if you want, the transfer portal approach that we've noticed out of Brett Bielema and his coaching staff. But, yeah, that's exactly it. You, 
there's going to be a fall off. There was the fall off going to be in the 23 season? There's the fall off. When I say fall off, I mean the, the next wave. Is that going to be, you know, now it looks like the 24 season. So do you either get in the portal or do you buy more time to get a Sed McConnell, a Mason Moraga, and Alex Bray, Jeremiah Warren, time with Tank Wright, time with Terrence Jameson, and get there? Probably probably both, to be honest, right? We, we I would expect next offseason to see them get in the portal for a defensive lineman. But, man, that, that is a big deal when you talk about these two guys returning is you're just getting more time at that. And we've seen it at other positions, right? Offensive line, uh, to a degree, we saw that. And now you're starting to see it at the defensive line. And, and you know maybe that recruiting catches up and you don't have these gaps. But right now there's a gap and you're just kind of, kind of buying time really until you've got to approach it. Yeah, Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph – um, T. Rod Edwards would probably be your starters, right? Uh, Bryce Barnes is a sixth year um, backup. They really like him, kind of in that rotational role. Daxon in a rotational role. And I would imagine Seth McConnell, um, that he would kind of be in that second string, kind of moving up into the depth chart with Jamal Woods out. And then you have your third stringers, your, your young guys. I mean, we'll see what Evan Kurtz becomes with Mason Murag and Alex Bray, Jeremiah Warren kind of developing behind those guys. We'll see what uh, happens with Rasan Wilkins here. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good 2023 depth chart. That's kind of how you want it tiered. And then can Sed McConnell step up and be a starter after Keith or Johnny or both decide to leave? And then you probably got to find another guy, whether that's when you're a current freshman or a guy in the transfer portal. But to get those guys for one more year, like if you didn't have Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph both come back, like if if both of them left, defensive line would have been a huge concern. Like even if you're filling it, even if you get a transfer, Joey, that was like a former four star, he'd be a big unknown, right? Now you're getting two probably NFL draft picks in 2024 back on your team, two of your best players from the 2022 season. Uh, I don't think we can undersell what this means for Illinois football. I think you look at the trenches here with Julian Pearl and Isaiah Adams coming back. Your offensive line should be good. How good? I don't know. But with Johnny Newton, Keith Randall coming back, your defensive line is going to be very good. So all of a sudden you are strong in the trenches yet again. And when I'm sitting there breaking down who I'm going to vote in the preseason poll, not that it matters because we get it wrong all the time, but Illinois is going to be in that discussion. I think in the top three, top four of the big 10 West, um, I think Iowa's going to be really strong next year, given what they get back on defense and Phil Parker. And they has got to be a little bit better on offense, and they're certainly adding some weapons. Um, but there's so many other questions in, in the Big Ten West. I think Illinois, at least in the trenches, um, and at linebacker, has very, very few questions in those spots. The biggest questions we'll get into, but I like to have my line solidified in this division as long as this division is going to happen, which might, this might be the last year. And I feel pretty good about what Illinois is getting back at O-line, D-line. Yeah, I mean, teams that have had success in this division have had talent in the trenches on both sides historically. And to your point, we don't know how long that's going to matter, but I don't think that's some anomaly to the Big Ten West. You play well in the trenches, you're gonna you're probably going to be in, in pretty good standing come the end of the season. So I, I do – I think that's important to point out because it's kind of what we thought – uh, we were going to see out of Brett Bielema teams for as much as he might uh, <laughs> push back at the notion of, of running. But the, the fact is they've always been – Brett Bielema teams have been strong in that area. So, yeah, man, I, I really don't think you can overstate the return of, of those two guys. And you probably do have to point back to NIL. And, and I think it would be naive to think NIL didn't have a, 
an impact and those two guys passing up being potential NFL draft picks to come back to school, which at least tells me, just tells me, not not a reporting that like Illinois is active in that sphere. And I, I don't think they're Scrooge McDuck, but I don't think they're broke either. Right. Like I, I think there's somewhere in between and we're seeing the allocation of that being, Hey, we want our known guys back. Yeah. That's just my read on the situation. I think this has been a really successful off season so far, Joey. And and some people might quibble with that in certain areas. I'll, I'll dive into that. But you had two guys you lost early to the NFL from a team that had all these all Big Ten players, several All-Americans, right? Chase Brown and Devin Witherspoon. And no one's going to disagree with a, a first-round pick leaving or a running back leaving after his fifth year of college, after uh, having more carries in the country than anybody, I think. Maybe Mo Ibrahim passed him up towards the end. I'm not sure. But one of the most 300-plus carries during his final season of college. Um, you did not lose Johnny Newton or Keith Randolph. And you did not lose Julian Pearl or Isaiah Adams. And you did not lose these guys to another school. Right, you do not lose them to the transfer portal, and what it's kind of going to your NIL point. Illinois might not be getting the biggest transfer name out there, but they're getting their best players back because partly of NIL, and most of that NIL effort has been in retaining their own players, which I think there's a lot of FOMO going on with Illinois football fans as this offseason goes along when it comes to the transfer portal because they see. Wisconsin getting transfer commit after transfer commit or Nebraska for the eighth straight year getting transfer commit after transfer commit, right? Uh, Illinois is number 46 in the transfer portal rankings, number nine in the big 10. But I think Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph are bigger than any transfer they could get. Isaiah Adams and Julian Pearl are as big as any transfer addition they could get. Of course, Avery Jones, you would have liked to have kept him and Oh, they got a top 10 transfer quarterback. Right. So like this is this is going pretty well, in my opinion. And the big question is, um, you know, Illinois wants to be a development program. Some people want Brett Bielma to be a little bit more aggressive, maybe in certain positions or to get a bigger name. Um, but I think he believes that it is better to keep my players, develop them. So the question for me becomes Ian Pugh and Ashton Hollins and Malik Elzey and Colin Dixon, are they better than some transfer wide receiver with a big name in the portal next year? Um, the corners they have, right? Or Matthew Bailey or uh, Nicario Harper, who they brought in as a transfer, or Tyler Strain or Caleb Patterson. Are those guys better than some transfer from a Power 5 program that might excite a fan base for a few minutes, right? Like, um, I think they believe that. That they believe somebody in their program that has been in their system does things the way they've been taught um, is is better than going heavy in the transfer portal every year. Yeah, I mean, it's you can't relate to this as a Bears fan because you guys spend a pretty good amount. But in the off season, when NFL teams are, are going nuts in either trades or free agency, and for me, I, I'm not complaining, Jeremy, about being a Packers fan, but there's just not a lot of activity at times on yeah. those fronts. You do walk and you think, oh, that, that would be cool. Like, man, wish we were signing guys. That would be a fun time. Uh, and you turn out okay. You know, that's, that's probably I, – I get it. I understand why Illinois fans, if they do have that FOMO, it's a good way to put it, would see like, oh, Wisconsin just added their 13th quarterback this offseason. <laughs> uh, you know, Nebraska's added X player, Y player. Like, I get it. I, I understand all that. But I, I think it also – and I'd love to talk to, to Brett Bielma – 
about this, he's not really getting away from who he is, right? Like, will that be, he is a development guy. Like that has been, we knew that when he got hired at Illinois, like this is, this is what it's going to be. And maybe it's frustrating to watch, but if you win six, seven, eight, nine games a year, if that's what it comes down to, I understand that's a long conversation down the line about a ceiling, but like, that's pretty good for, for where Illinois football wants to be. And I, I think there's something to be said about not flying too far away from what you know um, has worked. Now, I do think there are positions, we talked about it last year, like some of the portal additions that we've seen have not panned out. They, they've just not produced on the field. So, like, is there a middle ground, right, between being yeah. who you are and then also – Going to get into dudes uh, that, that you can get if you feel like you can go get them. He's gone more the depth guy. But at quarterback, he's gotten Tommy DeVito, former yeah. four-star prospect, and Luke Altmeyer, right? Former four-star prospect who Alabama was considering adding as a high school prospect and really lost a close battle to Ole Miss. We've talked about that. Um, yeah, I think there there definitely is that conversation. But you do have to say it's, it's worked for him so far right. yeah. in that – Nebraska added all these transfers, and it was a mess culturally, it felt like. Um, that's what I'm interested to see with Wisconsin. Listen, the teams that have added the most transfers in the Big Ten for the most part are teams that need to. Indiana added 16 transfers already. That's because they're desperate, and Tom Allen knows it's his final shot. Wisconsin had 13 transfers. A lot of them some big names, right? If I'm a Wisconsin fan, I would be excited because all of a sudden we got talented quarterbacks and talented wide receivers but they did that because they needed to do that. Like that team wasn't very good last year and now they're changing to a completely different system, which is exciting if, if you're a Wisconsin fan, but also a little nerve wracking because what you've done for so long worked. Um, Michigan State at a 12. It's kind of what they do. One good season, one bad season for them so far. Nebraska added 11. They have to. Their roster isn't very good. Um, they had a bad coach, if I haven't told you that. Maryland added eight. They lost a lot of people to the NFL. Uh, Michigan added seven, which I found interesting. Um, and they've added some good ones, especially on the offensive line. Michigan's crushing it. Like, that's at a different level of what they're doing in the portal on top. Like, I think they're they're getting – not to die too far away, but, man, they are really impressive in what they're doing in the portal. Yeah. So, like, Illinois, you know, they got similar numbers to at least by transfer numbers. Penn State has four. Iowa has five, and that's a big number for Iowa. Ohio State has two. Rutgers has four. Purdue has five. Like, that's more what they do is fill holes. What didn't go right? Who left early? Where do we have a hole? Offensive line, defensive line, based on what the previous staff did. I think that I think that's the right approach. Uh, and the fact that they landed Altmaier, and if they, if they had Avery Jones at this point, I would have said, oh, this has been a great transfer portal mm -hmm. for Illinois. I think that's the one big position they still need to fill via the portal is center or an, a tackle. And then you, you mix and match how you see it. But um, yeah, I think this is the way he's going to do things. And I think there's a reason for that. Like these transfer things don't always work out all the time. Um, we're seeing with basketball, how, how difficult it is to, you know, balance all that out and, you know, continue to build off what you do. Uh, that's why I think retaining talent, and developing it. I mean, the biggest loss Illinois had in the transfer portal is Brian Hightower, right? Like, other than that, it's been Virtus Brown, Matt Fries, D.D. Snyder, Daniel Edwards, right? These are really, really depth guys. Like, 
you keep that kind of talent, you build on it every year. I'm sure they think they got a replacement for Brian Hightower who can replace his production right now. Yeah, I want to run a, I don't know, a working theory that I came up with about a minute and a half ago. By like, you remember a couple times in the off during the season that Brett Bielma, whether asked about NFL decisions or whatever, had had kind of pointed to his time at Arkansas and said, you know, I lost X number of players that I thought were penciled in to be a starter the next year, and they went to the NFL draft. Like you and I have covered Brett Bielma, I feel like we know him well enough. I don't want to portray anything that it's not, but like, dude likes to plan. Like he is a very meticulous planner. So I think like NIL allows him to have more control isn't the right word, uh, but that opportunity to get guys back where your plan doesn't divert off of what you had set out. Like, I think that's really attractive to him and to the coaching staff. And of course that coincides with getting talent back to be able to say, Hey, you know, NIL is going to be a reason that we can help you develop to a higher draft pick and B get a little coin in your pocket after your last season. Well, I assume you and I both think this is Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph's last season. At least that's my approach if the decision was what it was this year. So I think it kind of works both ways, like in a good way, right? Like Bielma is able to keep his plan on track and not have any curveballs thrown in there. Those guys are able to, to benefit on a couple different fronts. Like I, the more I think about it, like I, it works for him to not have to to change uh, that that projection that he has. Uh, but but we also I thought the Avery Jones initial commitment uh, to Illinois before he flipped to to Auburn that was just go out and use your best pitch, one of your best pitches to go get some dudes to go get a dude. And Avery Jones is a dude. He's going to Auburn now. Uh, like I thought that was kind of if you want to see Illinois be more active in that realm, like I thought that was a really encouraging step because Avery Jones is a a really good play now. I, I think you and I like where the wide receiver room lines up. You could have made an argument that, hey, you got a pretty good pitch back at cornerback too or safety or, or wherever, and you've seen them maybe lean more into their high school evaluations and their development over the course. And we don't see practice, so we don't know what this development right. entails effectively from like really ever, right? I mean, we, we see like stretching. Right. And, and Caleb Patterson, they basically was there, was there transfer there, right? So um, – they still got some concerns though, right? Like I, right. I still think, you know, like you want to add more talent, add more talent. Their high school class right now after LZ committed is number 36 in the country. That's the highest for Illinois since 2011. Um, we think the class they just had a, a year ago, 2022, was an improvement over what they were doing. Now those guys are red shirt freshmen. We'll see uh, who steps up from that class. Um, but it's fine if you feel like, hey, you're in the big 10. You got UCLA and USC coming in here soon. We're going to have to continue to elevating talent. I think they agree with that too. I, I think there's no doubt about that, but I do think these guys get the benefit of the doubt with their development. Given Kirby Joseph, given Devin Witherspoon, maybe they didn't add those guys, but they got the most out of them, right? Kudos to Lovey Smith for those evaluations and his staff, but there's no doubt these players are better players under Brett Bielema and are reaching their ceilings so far under this coaching staff, like Alex Palczewski just had his best year. Maybe it's because he's 23 or 24 years old, but um, you know, those guys, Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph have, have taken huge leaps forward. So um, that that's where you do get the benefit of the doubt. And then we'll see how it all plays out. If they have to get more aggressive for some of these, I guess, bigger name, higher ceilings. But I do think getting back to that very few transfers out, that does say the players are enjoying and trust this staff. 
right? Like they, they feel like this is the best place for me to succeed. The fact that they're not going somewhere else and chasing the best NIL dollars. They're seeing Kirby. They're seeing Devin. They're seeing Chase Brown. They're seeing Johnny and Keith and what their futures are going to be uh, and how much it's changed under this staff. So I think that says a lot for them. I think that's, that's a pretty big deal nowadays is being able to retain talent more so than going out and getting bunch of transfers for an exciting it's like a white Sox fan man you get you get excited when there's a bunch of you know off-season signings i wish there was a bigger one right but like the most important thing sometimes is getting the most out of your current talent which is a white Sox problem but not an illinois football problem right now yeah i'm trying to pull up the transfer portal right now uh just in terms of transfers out because i do wonder how many of those guys matt fries obviously comes to mind uh, transferred out of Illinois that was recruited by this Illinois, who were recruited by this current coaching staff. And, and sometimes, I think a lot of them, Jeremy, I'm pulling, let me look at TJ Johnson and Matt Fries are the only ones I can think of. Yeah, I got So Samari Collier was not, Joyal Washington. Uh, yeah, there are no other guys from last year. No. So, I mean, which again, that's to kind of be expected, right? That, Guys who were recruited by a previous staff, be it a previous system, a previous talent evaluation, whatever the case may be, go to find a different space. But you're not seeing a lot of transfers out other than those two that or who were recruited by Brett Beal, which I think is another interesting point. And also there wasn't a major wave of transfers in terms of, of starters, rotation. Uh, I mean, you can go down the list since Brett Beal and his coaching staff were hired as Brian Hightower, Donnie Navarro, uh, Daniel Barker. Deucepan. Do span. I think those are the four who are really guys that we thought would be rotation pieces for Illinois, or at least at the time of the transfer were. Yeah, and let's be honest, I think the only ones that kind of surprised me a little bit were Daniel Barker and Do Span. Like I, I wasn't shocked of Donnie Navarro because he was getting passed up. I wasn't shocked about Brian Hightower. It's a sixth year of eligibility. Like we thought at this time last year he was probably going to transfer because it was right. a weird year. Right. And then he had a good year. He's a good productive player, big physical, but I do think they have guys in that that room that can replace that production pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's just also, let's just be frank, it's not a swath of transfers to the Power Five programs. Right. A lot of these guys are going down to some of those group of five levels. Um, it's not a knock on them. It's just maybe it's a better fit uh, for them to have the impact that they want. So I think the transfers out are, are pretty telling uh, about just the, the overall atmosphere, I suppose, inside the Smith Center and the belief in the trajectory of where this program is going, um, which I think is a good sign for, for Brett Bielema and his coaching staff to have been able to cultivate that. All right, Joe, let's talk about the, the biggest questions. I don't know if we've gone concerns, but question marks moving forward. I think, how good is Luke Altmaier? Like, we're, we're going to find that out pretty soon. Uh, we'll get a look at him in the spring game. Not sure how much we'll get to spring ball. Usually not very much. Uh, we'll get to start hearing about those guys who steps up a running back, right? Uh, and then for me at wide receiver, it's more of, you know, how's the development of the younger guys? Because we know what Pat Bryant, Casey Washington, Isaiah Williams bring. Uh, but Hank Beatty, Ian Pugh, Ashton Holland, Sean Miller, they get Canary Wilcher in here early. Uh, that'll be an interesting group because it's getting more talented, but they do need guys to to mature and, and grow. And it'll be interesting, especially Ian Pugh, Ashton Hollins, how much weight and strength they've added. Uh, at tight end, you get Tanner Arkin coming in to, to help with Tip Ryman. Offensive line, it's about center, right? Um, and, and is it Josh Kruitz? Can he be the starting center for Illinois? Or are they going to go get a guy in the spring? I think it's most likely the latter, that they'll go find 
another starting offensive lineman in the portal to replace Avery Jones on his defection. But um, yeah, hit on those, Joey. Biggest questions you got on offense right now? Center, and I think to your point, like they went and got they went and identified a need for center once. Um, so unless Josh Cruz comes out of the spring looking like he's, I mean, you, what what would have changed other than he has a really good spring? And they don't feel the need to address it. So I, I, I think center. I, I'm with you. I, we think Luke Altmaier. I mean, we know he's got a lot of talent, and, and we think he's he's going to be. It's going to be one of those additions you look at like yeah, that's a pretty good one. Uh, but but we don't have. 12, 13, 14 games of game film to look at it and be like, yeah, see, see? I mean, so, like, you had that with Tommy DeVito. Yeah. Well, and I said last year, like, Barry Lonnie was the most important addition uh, of, of the athletic department last year, the biggest storyline. Is it Luke uh, now? Yeah, it's Luke. Yeah. It's him. Um, now, maybe you can go – maybe you can go find – uh, especially after you got all these transfers back or all these guys back on the offensive and defensive lines, right? Like those were some of the biggest things they could do, but you don't, it's Donovan Leary next. He's a redshirt freshman. Haven't seen him play. He was the four string guy. Maybe they can go find another guy. That's one of the question marks I have for the off season. Uh, and I think that's the big thing here for me is you have a spring now to evaluate what you have. Are you good with Donovan Leary and Kirkle Michaud being your second and third quarterbacks? They now get a spring ball, Joey, 15 practices to figure that out. Three months of being in the you know rooms with them, all that, to figure that out before the next transfer portal window opens, right? And maybe you can find at that point somebody who's okay being the number two Big Ten guy, I'm a snap away from being a starter at Illinois, right? Running back. I think yes. they got plenty of talent there. But is Josh McCray or Reggie Love – are they good enough to be your one-two? Is Aiden Lawfrey good enough to make an impact? Or is he healthy enough to make an impact? Jordan Anderson, is he ready uh, to, to be your third or fourth running back? You get a whole spring to figure that out. Wide receiver. Line fans always bring up, like, we need somebody who can stretch the defense, stretch the field. Do they think Malik Elzey and Colin Dixon can be that early? Do they think Ian Pugh or Ashton Hollins can make an impact next year? Or after three, four months of watching those guys, do they have to? can they go get somebody? Um, though, though that's kind of my thing is you now get time to evaluate to see if you do need to upgrade over some of these skill positions. Yeah, watching the transfer offers, um, coming out of spring ball is going to be really a fascinating exercise if transfers even post offers anymore. Usually, it's just hey, so and so's on campus, surprise. That's uh, so why I, I think that'll be interesting. Running back fascinates me, uh, because I think along with offensive line. It's uh, maybe not even a lot. It's probably your best pitch offensively, right? Given Brett Bielema's history, given the offensive line, I mean, you can sell a thousand yards to somebody in a hurry in, in the transfer portal. Uh, and we didn't see a push in any meaningful capacity, Jeremy, uh, between the end of the season and now at running back. I will say I did hear some some positive vibes i guess i don't know if that's the right thing like jordan anderson i i think especially later in the season started to find himself and and started to look pretty impressive at times uh is, is he see is a guy who could kind of take that that leap because i thought we would have seen him against northwestern i thought we would have seen him in the bowl game and we didn't see those things but we did see he traveled right so like running back is fascinating because it's you can go get somebody like you that is <laughs> That's about a, a position you can go really go make a splash there. They did not do that. Uh, and wide receiver, I just think there's a lot of – there are a lot of options 
there, right? Like that. This is one of the more talented rooms we've wide receiver rooms we've seen at Illinois. But man, running back, I I like the talent, but I just wonder if they tried to make a splash in the spring. Yeah, because if but the fact that you get a couple months to figure that out, I think is a good thing. Because what if somebody all of a sudden shows up and looks like a star, right? Because we've seen that with Brett Bielma. Like one guy leaves, all of a sudden here comes Monty Ball. At Wisconsin, right? Like uh, John Clay, like they just had guy after guy after guy, uh, and and I don't think they're going to be as explosive at that position uh, with Chase Brown gone, unless Aiden Lawfrey can stay healthy, which has been a concern throughout his high school and now college career. Um, but it'll be interesting to watch, as you said, because it's a one position you can go and just be like, "Hey, come in here, and you can be the next Chase Brown," kind of like Michigan State did with Kenneth Walker. A year ago, right? Like lost Kenneth Walker added two power five running backs uh, who had pretty good offers uh, the year prior. Uh, wide receiver, I, I think I think they feel pretty good about their young guys. Um, I think, but but you need someone in that. I'm circling that freshman list there. Yeah. Somebody's got to take a step forward. I should have mentioned Sean group. Miller more, right? Because Sean, yeah. I think they expected to play. Miles Scott is an interesting walk on. We saw him in the rotation. Uh, a good bit last year, but I think you probably need one. He's more of a slot guy, Jeremy. I think you probably need one more of those Sean Miller, Colin Dixon, Malik Elzey, uh guys to, to kind of step in there and because someone still has to replace Pat Bryant. Or, I'm sorry, Brian Hightower. I feel like most of my defensive questions are answered. I have no right? start you, questions. You, you've added Daxon. Yeah, you, you got your defensive line depth there. You get Newton and Randolph back. Everybody else from that front seven that basically could be back is back. Um, and then at defensive back, you've added a cornerback transfer, the Juco route and Caleb Patterson. And physically, I got up close to him, Joey. He's physically really impressive. 6'2", looks like he's got about a 6'5 wingspan, really well built. He's strong enough to play right away. Nicario Harper is going to be a, a really big one. I'm interested to see. Um, his battle, whether it's with Prince Green or Keontae Curry, whoever else steps up there. Um, I think this is another position where they could add one more here, kind of like wide receiver running back, but they get time to look at these guys, see them in, in person. You know, they get Toby here early um, to, to see if he can make an impact. But Elijah McCantos, Tyson Rooks, Tyler Strain, Matthew Bailey, like these guys all have talent. Um, and then Prince Green and Keontae Curry, I think it's a big spring for them. I think it's a crucial spring if they want to be part of this rotation moving forward. So it's a lot of young guys, but there is talent in that room. And now they get a full semester to evaluate those guys and see if we, they got to go upgrade. Yeah, and I, I don't, you didn't mean to omit, but Xavier Scott was a guy who I thought showed really nice flashes uh, when he needed to be called on. Let, let's start with corner. I, I do have nose guard questions in terms of do you have a Calvin Avery? Like can T. Ry Edwards step into that role? But if we get to the backfield a little bit, they are like – listen to the way Brett Bielema describes Taz Nicholson. Like that injury late in the season, really like that hurt Illinois. Taz Nicholson was playing pretty good football, and remember, we didn't even know that guy was going to be the number two corner going into the season a year ago. And so, what does he look like? Is he a true cornerback one? I mean, I think kind of look at it, it's got got to be right, unless Caleb Patterson comes in, you know, like a ball of fire here. So I, I think you're right. There's talent back there, and obviously, we've seen the they prefer to get some of those guys in early, uh, if at all possible. Remember a year ago, Keontae Curry and Prince Green were getting buzzed at kind of various times. It's like, where does that 
what does this all look like? And, and that cooled down uh, a little bit by our read in the spring. Uh, but you're right. That's a big spring for those two. Solo Turner, I know he's a walk-on, but he's kind of an impressive guy. I wonder where, if at all, you know, how he fits into that mix. There's a lot of different, both versatility and just names back there that you could see kind of a, the only thing I feel like in my mind I, I know is, I think Matthew Bailey, Sidney Brown. I think he could be other players, but I think he's Sidney Brown. I, Taz Nicholson's a corner. I could see Tyler Matthew Strange's Bailey. Free, I I could see Matthew Bailey free safety. I I, I, I know nothing. Sidney Brown, like I just watched Nicario Harper, and that looks like Sidney Brown. Like that hit the role right. he plays. He's an in the box safety. I've heard he could play nickel as well, but I think Xavier Scott's that guy. Like so, it, it will be interesting to see how it all plays out. But Matthew Bailey, like. He shined most kind of in that dime extra free safety role. I think that's kind of where he's settling in. Even though when he was coming out of high school, I was thinking, oh, that looks like a in-the-box safety, maybe a guy who can grow into linebacker. So I, I, I can see him playing both safety positions, which is great, Joey, to have that versatility. So is the only thing we know that Taz Nicholson and Tyler Strain are cornerbacks, and then everything else, we just got to figure out how in the world it shapes up through spring. I would say that Taz Nicholson and Matthew Baylor are starting. You are right. That was your point. Sure. <laughs> that was your point. Um, I think Caleb Patterson and Tyler Strain are battling it out for the other corner spot. Um, I think Xavier Scott and Tyler Strain, can he be nickel? I think those guys, because they're not as long but really quick, uh, could be nickel possibilities. Uh, and then the rest of it, like Nicario Harper is an in-the-box guy. Uh, for me, whether that's nickel or whether that's a strong safety, I do believe it's strong safety. That's kind of figuring out where are these other guys. I think McCantos and Rooks are guys you want on the the boundary, or Rooks could be a guy at free safety. Uh, but obviously a lot of development to play with those guys. So that, that will be fun to see where all these guys plug and play. Because at this time last year, we didn't know where all these guys were going to plug and play. We didn't even know where Quan Martin was going to be. We didn't know if he'd be free safety or the nickel. Ended up kind of playing a little bit of both, but mostly nickel. We thought it um, depended on how Keontae Curry looked, right? A year ago, we thought Keontae Curry could be the safety or Prince Green. And then, so, like, that's – it is – I think there's Keontae more. Curry literally had a great spring. <laughs> had, it sounded like he had a ton of interceptions. Uh, so, yeah, man, it's – this is probably the most unknown – it definitely is in, in Bielema's time, but probably since when, Jeremy, in terms of who's going to play where in the defensive backfield. <laughs> Well, Quan Martin's been a four-year starter. Tony Sydney Brown's Adam. been a five-year starter. Devin Witherspoon's been a four-year starter. So you're right. You're right. There, there are a lot of questions there, but I don't know if I feel better about one position on defense for the future than DB just because of how they recruit, what type they recruit. And I say that even though I love what they're doing at outside linebacker. Like, um, So – but I, I just I love the talent they're getting there, the versatility of talent, and the length they're adding back there, uh, and just the development that's been under the staff, including Aaron Henry, of course, Ryan Walters being a big part of that. Um, but yeah, the the question is more immediate term because long term, I, I feel really good about the secondary. Yeah, I'm with you, and it's kind of that defensive line gap that you thought you'd see if the law firm didn't come back. It's a little bit of a, an age gap. I don't know. You know, I, I know it seems clear to me they're pretty confident in the talent they have and the way they've recruited. But age gap, there's. I mean, there's a lot of young dudes uh, as I look at this roster. One, one returning upperclassman, right? Nakario Harper obviously is senior, but Taz Nicholson's your only returning upperclassman. 
on this uh, on the secondary. So certainly a load of talent, but that's why uh, that front seven, as we talked about, uh, so important to return. Uh, should we bring up the specialists? Who who is uh, more in danger of of losing their job to a freshman, Caleb Griffin or Hugh Robertson? Shoot, probably Hugh Robertson. It was just less consistency year from from start to end of the year, right? Even though I thought he had a really good bowl game, Caleb Griffin's injury, I think, kind of changes how I approach. I mean, he missed what what's it three games, if I'm not mistaken. And the thing is, if it weren't for that wind in October and November, Caleb Griffin's numbers might have been even better because he just didn't get many opportunities late in the season. But he was, what do you make his last five field goals or something like that? I mean, like he, he was, was really good. Yeah, he was really good down the season. So I would agree with that. I mean, he did end well. So it kind of colors it a little bit more positive what he was able to do. But if he's not consistent, then then Declan Dewey is certainly going to have a chance to come in and, and do it. And, and David Alano, man, um, got to like what he did in the All-American game. But Caleb's obviously a great teammate. And I, I think David Alano is going to gain a lot uh, having a year with, with Caleb Griffin. I think so. Those two seem similar personality-wise. Like you it just seems like they're kind of captivating, know everybody type of guys. And you want those in your program. And, and look, David Alano pushing Caleb Griffin is a good thing for Caleb Griffin. It's a good thing for David Alano. And it's a good thing for Illinois. Right. And I, we, I think we both assume he's going to push him in some capacity over the course of the next five months, six months. All right, Joey, last question for you. When the heck is Brett Bielema going to fill his last two assistant spots? Come on, man. Can't, I can't believe it's gone this long. It's embarrassing. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I get it. I understand. Like Fennell has happened. We're, curious. We're eager. We're eager. We are. Well, we want news, and I understand fans w- want to know the the backstory, the recruiting, that all that. And I get it. We, we're curious about all those things too. Uh, I I still have said this to you. If I said it on here, I'm wondering how much the NFL, like Brett Bielema, has brought up the NFL a few times. We're kind of getting down to like four teams here. So we're well, not kind of. We're down to four teams here. So what's going on? I, I don't know. I. It'll happen when it happens. They got time. I understand the need for it, but they got guys. Nate McNeil looks like he's been out on the road in kind of one of those temporary spaces. Pat Ryan uh, has been out of the road in one of those temporary spaces. I don't think it's cause for concern. I think Brett Bielen is being thorough about this. I would expect maybe a more veteran outside linebackers coach and maybe a more up-and-comer type as a running backs coach. Uh, We'll see. I mean, Brett Bielema, I've said this before on here, when the dude wants something out there, he sure as heck finds a way to get it out there. But there are just very few breadcrumbs when Brett Bielema doesn't care to have other people know. Yeah, and my thing is, like, I think, as you said, he's being thorough. I think he's been a guy who's been very busy the last month or so. We've talked about what December and January are like for, for college coaches, but he knew he was going to hire Antonio Finellis. So he went and hired Antonio Finellis. That was quick. Um, that's some the of exception, ones, not the rule, by the way. Like those quick turns, the exceptions. Yeah. I mean, remember when he first took the job, it took a while to get the coordinators in place. It took a while. And then more time after that, like when was Kevin Kane hired late January, early February, something like that. George McDonald late in the process. Like you got like four or five candidates you interview and then you interview again and you bring them on campus and you go through that whole ordeal. And he's got two of those going on right now. Some of this stuff does take time. And uh, it's important to get these right. So you want to get to know these people. You want to get to know what they can add to the program. Um, probably want to know what some of your coaches and people in the program think. Uh, get some feedback on that. You got to do your background research. So uh, Brett Bielma is tireless with all of this, but I have no question. Like this isn't one of those where under Lovey Smith, you're like, who's he going to hire? Um, this is more like, oh, he's going to hire somebody 
qualify for the job. It's just who's it going to be? Where are they going to recruit? How do they fit in the rest of the staff? Um, again, I maybe I just think they've earned that confidence. I think Brett Bielma has earned that confidence with who he's been able to hire so far. Um, and I agree with you. I think the running backs coach is going to be able to recruit, and I bet they have some kind of ties in state. Uh, and I think the the outside linebackers coach is probably going to be a little more seasoned. Uh, somebody who's probably got a good history of pass rushing. And but I think the recruiting part of that job is important too, because your your most important jobs are your strength coach, your coordinators, your offensive line, defensive line coach. They got to be developers, and the rest have to be able to recruit. So while I get the NFL thing, I do think your outside linebackers coach, especially replacing Kevin Kane, who was pretty right. dang good at recruiting uh, and had good in-state ties, they got to recruit too. That was my exact point. Like Kevin Kane was a good recruiter. He knew the Great. state really, really well. I wouldn't be surprised at some point to see him circle back to the state of Illinois in his coaching career. Uh, he's, he's just got really good ties here. So I think that's important as well, Jeremy. But I, I get it. I, and I, I kind of poke fun. Like I understand the who's it going to be. I think, to your point, Brett Bielma has earned the benefit of the doubt. And I think his contact list has earned the benefit of the doubt, dude. The guy has been around a while. He has got a pretty deep list of connections, whether it's still in football, out of football. He knows him. He knows, you know, whatever it breaks down as. I think you, you've got to understand, like, dude knows a lot of people. Like, I I trust that he's going to be talking to people who are who are good at this and, and have some some, uh, some good qualifications for it. Yeah, and he's got that notebook he always carries around. Oh, I gotta know what's in there. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's got it's always had names in it, right? Like Josh Whitman always talks about how he has names for every every job. Like Brett Bielma is certainly one of those people uh, who's got names. I think some inside his tree, some outside his tree. Uh, I think he's added a lot of people, obviously close to him. Whether it was the new director of operations, whether it's Antonio Finellis promoting Aaron Henry, you know, it sounds like Terrence Jameson's going to get a little bit of a title bump. Um, but I, I do think these are most likely outside, which is why it takes more time um, just, just to figure out who these people are and make sure they're the right fit. All right, we have to add an addendum. We do a whole podcast. We talk for 45 minutes about Illinois football. We have a conversation about the quarterbacks. And then, of course, news happens. Whenever you, you end a podcast, you get nervous that news can happen right after it, rendering part of the podcast uh, irrelevant. And that's kind of what happened with a little bit of our quarterback conversation. We didn't dive too much into it, but we said it'll be interesting to see if Illinois adds an experienced quarterback. Uh, and they do, and they have, and I guess they have for a while. Ball State transfer John Paddock. Uh, Max Olson from The Athletic was the first to report that he is going to Illinois, and we follow up and report, and he indeed is at Illinois. Sixth-year senior quarterback started at Ball State last season. Uh, the Cardinals went 5-7. and seven. Uh, He threw for 2,700 yards, 18 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Joey, what was your initial reaction? We thought this was coming, right? In terms of, well, I don't think we thought that they were going to go into the season with a red, couple of redshirt freshmen and true freshmen behind Luke Altmaier. And I need to add a big, sorry, Joey, I need to add no. a big uh, qualifier here. He is a walk-on there it at is. Illinois. Yes. So I needed to add that. It's kind of an important detail in this conversation. And mayhaps the most important detail, Jeremy, to get to get uh, uh, Division One. I know he started for one year, but he's got the five years of experience to get a Division One guy as a walk-on to come into the program. The pitch had to be, you're going to be a snap away, and probably some, I would think some of, hey, we're going to give you every chance here, uh, but this is our Luke's our guy, and you're going to be a snap away most likely. Man, that's a that's a pretty good 
recruiting win for Illinois to, to go get an experienced guy, an older guy, a guy who's been in college football a long time to presumably, I think presumably be the backup or compete for the backup uh, position with, with some of those younger guys as a walk on, you're not on your 85. That That's a, um, I don't know why I don't, I don't know, Jeremy, what's that tell you about the pitch that Illinois has? The pitch is you're one snap away, as you said, and I think this is kind of exactly what you and I were thinking about. Uh, but maybe we're thinking about a FCS star, yeah. right? Like we we're talking about an FCS star, not a Division One starter. And again, it wasn't like he set the world on fire at Ball State, basically one to one touchdown interception ratio. I think this is pretty non-threatening to Luke Altmyer, which is important, right? He is the starter at Illinois. And I don't really expect this to be a competition. I imagine it's like Tommy DeVito. He's going to get 80 plus percent of the snaps as the first stringer during spring ball, like DeVito had last year. Um, but it's a guy that is an experienced division one player that you feel like if you put in a game might not kill you. Right. And, and has the chance to raise the floor of that room. And that's the concern is what is the floor of that room behind Luke Altmeyer, who runs? Who is thin, right? Like one injury away, what is Illinois' quarterback room? And no matter what you think about Art Sikowski, you felt like all right, he can go into a game and at least allow you to compete if your run game and your defense are successful. And that's going to be yeah, it's going to be the same thing with uh, John Paddock, right? Is who that's what a backup quarterback usually is uh, for the non-powerhouse programs, right? Um, so I, I think it's a great addition for Illinois is, is a walk on. And I think it does tell you about the transfer portal and quarterbacks. I mean, this is a division one starter who enters the transfer portal, probably knowing he wants to go up a level and might have to take a walk on role, but there's just so many, only so many spots available for quarterbacks that, um, you know, this, this kind of shows that you can still get a good one to add some depth. And that was the key. Like we felt good about what Luke Altmeyer brings talent wise. We just have no idea what is behind him. And that's really scary. Um, given that Illinois has not had a, a completely healthy year at quarterback, even Tommy DeVito had to leave a game and he had to go with Art Sikowski for a year. So it's rare to get through an entire season with one quarterback. So if you're John Paddock, you might have to pay your way for a year, but this is going to be a great opportunity for him to potentially play some Big Ten football and uh, gives you competition for Donovan Leary uh, and Kirkland Michaud and, and Cal Swanson. I think we know Cal is a year or two away at least, but it certainly gives competition to Donovan Leary, who uh, was the number two quarterback with a bullet before we learned this news. Yeah, and it, it's another veteran guy for Kirkland Michaud, for Donovan Leary, for Cal Swanson to learn from in terms of for Luke Allmeyer, Luke Allmeyer is a young dude, just another guy who's been around to, to kind of show what it's like. I mean, until last year, John Paddock was a career backup at Miami, at uh, Miami, Ohio. Yeah, which Ball State, Ball State. Ball State. Goodness gracious, been a lot of I was leaving basketball media availability when you texted me like, "Hey, what's going on here?" Um, so I mean, look, this—you can learn a lot from a guy who who's backed up a lot of seasons who's been that backup who, who fought his way to that number one spot at ball state so man is it gonna move the needle of illinois win total no but if you have been following this if you've seen how this room has been developing to have somebody who's been around who's thrown passes i'm gonna look up ball state who, who ball state play out of conference last season 
Uh, the other thing about John Paddock, I want to mention yeah, to people. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, he and he and Donovan Leary, uh, great hair. Uh, he's he's maybe not oh, quite another weird, hair. But, but John Paddock, great head of hair, and uh, yeah. everyone knows I can appreciate that. Hey, we we appreciate a good all hair team candidate, Jeremy. Um, John Paddock, look, he didn't play very. well. I'm pulling up the box, but he played it at Tennessee last year, which again, uh, let's see, he yeah, he's 27 to 43, a touchdown, two picks. That's fine. But he, you like you've had those moments and those environments that he's like, played it in front of a hundred thousand fans, <laughs> right? And like, I'm not again. No, we're not trying to sell like, hey, look out! Like, just to have that in the room, somebody who's who stepped in those situations is really. I mean, we thought that was a, a kind of a key missing piece to this Illinois team, and you've seen them address that uh, with, with this addition. Yeah. So uh, for Paddock. You get an opportunity here, right? And as I said, it's rare to have a starting quarterback go through an entire season healthy. For Illinois, you get experience depth. This makes sense uh, from both sides. I know some people might be shocked like a Division One starter decides to be a walk-on. Man, you get an extra, this is an extra year for him. Sixth year. Why not take your shot, right? Why not take your shot at, at a place like Illinois um, where – they don't have any depth. It's really a great opportunity for him as long as he can pay his way, and he obviously can. Uh, I, I know you've reported he's on campus. We Just to behind the scenes, we can't talk to him until it's orchestrated through Illinois. But I would be curious, and I don't know I don't know this to be the case at all, but if he's a guy who sixth year, that free year, if you want to go that coaching route and you look at like an Art Sikowski who's elevated himself up, like could you see this as a chance to be in a room with, with – Guys, if I, I don't know, I, we don't know, and we haven't talked to him. I don't know if that's in the cards for him, but it's an interesting thing to to ask because Illinois kind of got a little bit of a a thing going there, at least with Art. Uh, John did message me, and he said I didn't make an announcement because it was a late decision, but he's pumped to be here. I don't think I'll get in trouble for that. I didn't follow up, and yeah, they. they I don't am want... sending a text to Mark <laughs> on you right now. You're sure, buddy. Well, I didn't know. We didn't know he's on no, campus. That's right. Right. That's so right, so yeah. now that he's on campus, I said, "Hey, hope to meet up with you at spring ball." But um, yeah, I think it's a makes sense. I think it makes sense from from all accounts here, Joe. It's crazy to cover a football team that does things that make sense. This makes sense, and there's no no knock on Donovan Leary, no knock on Kirkland Michaud, but. Going into a season where you're trying to build on an eight-win year with two redshirt freshmen as your backup quarterback is not, to, to steal freight, not ideal. Like, that's just not an insurance policy that, that's really favorable for Illinois. Well, listen, and you hope Donovan Leary's great. He was the fourth quarterback last year. Kirk Omisho was the fifth quarterback. Those guys have to earn the number two spot, right? Like, I, I think the competition for the number two spot – is a really interesting um, competition going into spring ball. Um, so I, I think that's that's where I go with this, is it's more of a, all right, now now Donovan Lurie, you got to go win this job, or Kirk Omisho, you got to go win this job, and, and Paddock certainly has to go get the backup job. So um, non-threatening to, to Luke Altmaier, in my opinion, but at least you do have a guy that's got D1 experience that if Altmaier struggles or gets injured, um, you feel like maybe you got a, a guy who could be competitive. I'm just laughing at how things have changed over the course of like, so I got on the beat in 2018 is like, who's going to be the starter. And now you and I are like, you know, an interesting storyline going into spring is who's going to be the backup. Cause I don't think you and I ever fell for the smoke and mirrors that it was going to be anybody not named Tommy DeVito. Because we, let's be honest. I had watched film of Tommy DeVito and we had seen Art Sikowski. 
and nothing against Art. He's going to be a phenomenal coach. But it's like, which one? Like, which one's dynamic? It was Tommy DeVito. It was clear. And he ended up having the season that he had. It's just, it, is it not crazy to you that at this point, like, in our minds, unless Luke Altmaier plucks every pass he ever throws into the dirt all spring, like, we know, I should say grass or turf, whichever. We know who, who the quarterback's going to be, and our attention goes to the number two quarterback. It's times they are changing, Jeremy Warner. Yeah. Joey Wagner, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Fun football talk about Illinois football during January as uh, they start the spring semester with all their newcomers, including, I believe it's 12 freshmen and four transfers now with the walk-on John Paddock uh, coming in as well. So uh, a lot of newness to that uh, Smith Center right now. And, of course, they'll add a couple assistant coaches to the mix here in short order. Thank you, as always, for hosting the Illini Inquirer podcast. Thanks to Megan McEwen. Thanks to Joy Wagner for their time. Give us a follow, rating, review wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We'll continue to update that uh, as well. And we appreciate all you guys that join us on our live YouTube uh, channel as well as we do our post-game podcast. Of course, Illinois against Ohio State men's basketball on Tuesday at 6 p.m. We'll be covering that three deep uh, at State Farm Center. Uh, so be uh, be ready to tune in to our post-game podcast with that as always. All right, everybody, have a great day. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time on the Online Inquirer podcast. Bye, everybody.